Good evening, everyone. Good to see you tonight. And thank you, Vince, for putting the new songbooks together for us. We, we appreciate it. That's great. It's kind of good to learn a few new songs, too, maybe along the way here. That's, that's good. I thought tonight, as we start out, you know, we always end in prayer, and we'll do that just like we always do, but I thought maybe we could have somebody uh, volunteer to pray for a couple things, and I'll lead us in prayer as far as our study. But uh, just a couple of things we are certainly, you know, top shelf praying for. Uh, uh, do remember uh, Pat and Wendy Campbell. Uh, Pat has a lot of pressure all of a sudden thrust upon him. He's been made interim director of the whole seminary down in Peru. So uh, pray for him. A lot, lot of pressures right now, you know, and there's a lot of personnel that's either moving or going to be there just a short time. Uh, and so Pat wasn't expecting this. <laughs> so that's a kind of a heavy load. Also, our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, you know, it's just a horrible situation. War is always a horrible situation. Uh, no different in that regard. But uh, we certainly ought to be remembering our brothers and our sisters. I think about this. I'm pretty comfortable in my warm home, my warm bed. Uh, these dear souls, a lot of them, electricity cut off everything else. It's cold. It's winter there, too. So uh, how about somebody uh, pray for uh, Pat Campbell in his new position as interim director and also our Ukrainian brothers and sisters in particular, you know, the whole situation, but our brothers and sisters in particular there. Somebody want to lead us in prayer? Yeah, Vince? Both of them. And then I'll, and then I'll pray after you're done. Lord, we also would pray now as we continue on here with our study that you would bless as we open the Word of God tonight. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who is the ultimate teacher. I thank you for the privilege to, to lead tonight. Pray that you would help me to do so with clarity. And then we also would pray for the youth group, Awana Ministries, ongoing, that they would be blessed of you as well, that the Word of God would go forth, that you would be working in the hearts and lives of the young people. Thank you for each one of the teachers and the leaders and I pray that you just bless their ministry. So we commit our entire evening to you now, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> All right, well, we are in Philippians, and we are working through, we are down to chapter 4, Rejoicing in Christ, Our Sufficiency, is what I've uh, titled the, the theme of the chapter. 
And uh, we note in chapter 3, Paul, after sharing his testimony, he uh, ends up there in verse 9 by saying, And be found in him, that is in Christ, not having mine own righteousness. I don't have any righteousness of my own. Not having my own righteousness, uh, which is of the law, from the law, tr- trying to keep all the rules. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. This is the only kind of righteousness we really have before God. It's what we call imputed righteousness. It's put to our account when we believe in Jesus. Uh, No such thing as self-righteousness. Now, really, you can be self-righteous in a hypocritical way, but the only righteousness Paul says he had, uh, not having mine own righteousness, but that which is through faith in Christ. But then he goes on to say in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, when he says that I may know him, let me ask you, did he already know him? What's he mean? That I may know him. That's right. He wants to know him ever more deeply. Uh, He's already got an established relationship with Jesus Christ, as seen in verse 9, on the basis of faith, but he now wants to know him more intimately. The rest of the chapter kind of builds on this theme of knowing Christ, which is the ultimate goal, and ultimately climaxes at the end of the chapter, verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. And that is really what, remember how he says here uh, in verse 10, back to verse 10 where he says that I may know him. And then he says down to verse 11, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is the ultimate goal that Paul has, that he is one day going to uh, be resurrected and share in a glorified body. And that's what he's talking about here in verse 20, where he says, who... Uh, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So this knowing Christ, this is where it ultimately leads. uh, Glorification, where we will share in glory and have a glorified body, just like the Lord Jesus Christ has, and uh, what a glorious day that is going to be. Well, Paul now builds on these realities that uh, we will one day know ultimately in glory. And uh, we have chapter 4 and verse 1, which is really kind of a continuation of the thought in terms of an eternal perspective and applying it now to life. And so why don't we have somebody read chapter 4 and verse 1. We're just going to look at the first three verses here in chapter 4 tonight. Let's start. Yeah, Mac, you want to read verse 1? Okay, thank you. So, uh, the, the, therefore, ties in with what he has just said in terms of having uh, an eternal perspective that climaxes in glorification, as we saw at the end of uh, chapter 3. And uh, now he is saying this perspective should affect how we then live. Uh, it should have a, a dramatic effect on how we live. And uh, there's really an issue of accountability seen throughout this whole section here. Chapter 1, verse 10, he talks about being without offense till the day of Christ. It's a day of accountability, uh, the believer's accountability. When we're going to show up, not give an account of our sins, Christ took care of all that on the cross, but we are going to give an account of how we served, and we want to do so without offense. And so he's praying that for the Philippians. And then uh, chapter 2, verse 16, he talks to, uh, to them about holding fast, hold fast, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I'm not running vain. So this is a day of evaluation. And he's saying he's wanting them to hold fast. 
Again, this whole idea of accountability. Chapter 3, verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize. I think this relates to rewards. The day of evaluation again. And then we'll see, uh, Lord willing, next uh, time, he talks about with all gentleness, how, handling ourselves with all gentleness, because the Lord is at hand, <clears throat> which is, again, this idea of accountability. The Lord is at hand. Uh, how is he going to find us? Well, we want to be found uh, with a gentle spirit. Okay, um, so note, uh, pressing on. Therefore, my beloved, uh, intense form of loved one, uh, therefore, my beloved, he's, a, he's affirming his love for them. And whenever Paul's emphasizing this, you know he's about to say something pretty strong. <laughs> now, not always, absolutely always, but, but often that is the case. And that's, that's going to be true here. Therefore, my beloved, and long for brethren. He, you know, when you love someone and you're away from them, you long for them. And that's the situation with the Apostle Paul here. He yearns for them in his heart is the idea. Now, we saw earlier in chapter 1, verse 7, that he says there that he had them in his heart. And he says there in chapter 1, verse 8, that he has the affection of Jesus Christ for them. So he loved these people very deeply. He calls them brethren, along for brethren. Uh, brethren speaks of a family tie, a spiritual family, the family of God tie. Therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown. So he's describing what they mean to him. He says, you're my joy. You're my joy. Isn't it wonderful when you can look at people and say, you're my joy? You don't say, well, you're my downer. <laughs> you, you never do a thing for me. No, he says, you're my joy, my joy, and my crown. Uh, Paul was a very people person. He was a people person. Found his joy in the Lord, but also in a secondary sense, in the people that God had used uh, him to bring to the Lord. And, uh, you know, he says here, I think when he's talking about my joy and crown, he's ultimately thinking about eternity. And he says here in Philippians 2.16 that I referred to, holding fast the word of life. He's encouraging them to do this. So that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. He sees them as a, as a spiritual investment. And as they continue on, continuing on, pressing on for the Lord, this is going to mean rejoicing for him on the day of Christ. And so he sees them as partners in the Lord. He sees them as, as spiritual uh, investments that he has made. And he's encouraging them to press on. My joy and crown. Uh, now this word crown, Stephanos, refers to a crown that would be given to a a, an, an athlete who won a contest somewhere, for example. Uh, we might compare it to a trophy uh, today. It's not the idea of a, a kingly crown, but more one related to an athletic event where someone is crowned uh, for uh, being the victor of a particular race. And so he says, you are my joy and my crown. I, I would relate this again to the idea of reward. Uh, I'm going to be rewarded from the Lord on Judgment Day because of my investment in you, is what he's really telling these people. That's why they're so precious to him. He says the same thing to the church uh, at Thessalonica, where he says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Uh, for you are glory and joy. You know, I think Paul said, you know, really... You're what my reward is all about, you people. Uh, you're my people, you're my, my joy, you're my crown. Uh, you're the basis of my reward. 
That's really what he's saying to these people. And no wonder they were so precious to him. Uh, You know, the true riches are the people. It's really about the people. And, uh, you know, we sometimes make jokes about people, but really people are precious. Uh, They are the blood-bought, precious possession of Jesus Christ. And uh, we have the privilege to build into people, to see people come to know the Lord and then build into them. So he says to them, So stand fast in the Lord, beloved. This is the key emphasis in verses 1 through 9 as we get into chapter 4. It's a key application of this eternal perspective that, that he is emphasizing. And he will develop this now as we get into chapter 2 through verse 9. He'll develop what this means to stand fast. To stand fast. It's the idea of being spiritually stable. It means to take a stand and not retreat. Uh, we might say be a person of no compromise. And he's encouraging them. It's an imperative command. It's not a suggestion. Stand fast. Uh, no retreating. Uh, I want you to stay uh, where you're at in your, in your commitment to the Lord. No compromise. I think there's three issues in the context of the book as we would work our way through it. In context are three major fronts uh, which Paul is concerned about regarding standing fast. The Judaizers, we've seen him address this in chapter 3, they taught Jesus plus. Jesus plus religion, ritual, instead of faith alone, in Christ alone. And Paul comes down very hard on them as we have noted. Stand fast. No compromise with these Jesus plus people. It's Christ, faith alone in Christ alone. And then the antinomians, they taught that grace means a license instead of pressing on in Christ-likeness. Um, nope. Uh, grace doesn't give us a license to sin. Stand fast. And then there's this issue of family discord that he is going to deal with as we get into verses 2 and 3 here. Uh, he wants them to stand fast in terms of the unity that we have in Jesus Christ. So we see those, uh, those three things there. And then he says, uh, again, uh, stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Now he mentions this twice in his one verse, beloved. Uh, you know what this is called? Sharing the truth in love. He wants them to know he loves them and what he is sharing with them. And he's going to kind of bring out some things I think that could probably sting if you're reading this letter before the whole group, which is going to be uh, happening. But he, uh, he wants them to know that, that it is shared out of love. And, and again, this is coming before the correction that he is going to bring out as we get to verse 2. It's kind of abrupt uh, what, where he's going to go. As I say here, Paul now rather abruptly deals straightforwardly with what needed to be addressed. We've had hints of discord building throughout the book. You know, hints of it. Paul now comes straight out with it. It almost seems minor in comparison to the weighty matters he's just been discussing related to the Judaizers and the antinomians in chapter 3, pretty heavy stuff related to the the very gospel itself, clearly these people were false teachers, Uh, these uh, Judaizers, antinomians. Clearly these people were false teachers. And the danger their teaching post was obvious. But what about these two women he brings into view? Uh, They were influential believers and members of the church, who had been vitally involved in gospel ministry, why would such people even need to be addressed in this context? Why would it be so serious that Paul would even uh, name names in a public letter, which he is is about to do? He's about to drop a bomb on this church (laughs) in terms of personnel. Uh, You just imagine if if I'm reading an inspired letter from the Apostle Paul. We got a letter from the Apostle Paul uh, family. 
And uh, let me read it to you. And then it calls out your name and my name. I'm saying, oh, my goodness, I have really been just called out here. That's, about, that's what is about to happen here. Uh, another uh, paragraph here. Because Paul knew that discord uh, fomented in the church can be as deadly as any attack from outside the church. Satan attacks from without and from within. The selfish, envious brethren, and oftentimes the attack from within can be more damaging than anything else. Satan is very effective in playing the dis, playing, uh, discord from within strategy, the discord from within strategy. This is why we see church split after church split and church fight after church fight. It destroys the testimony of the church and renders it relatively ineffective in the spiritual battle we find ourselves in. These matters are so serious that they must be dealt with firmly and straightforwardly, albeit in love. Remember the great emphasis on love that we have here. I mean, this is being couched in love. Yeah, go ahead. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. Amen. Very good. Yeah. So um, here we go. Uh, here's where he is leading. Uh, he's asking them to stand fast. And there's a context related to body life. Uh, we need to stand fast in relationship to how we get along, the body life. Can you imagine taking people, all the backgrounds we have here, all the personalities, all the different... It's very easy for us to not get along, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, things uh, about you bug me sometimes. And I know uh, it happened one time several years ago. I actually bugged somebody too. Just kidding. <laughs> we do this on a regular basis, don't we? All right, uh, let's get to it. Who wants to read verse 2? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Okay, yep. Uh, this kind of gave me a little bit of but uh, to our observation, there is part of the first part of verse 1, where it says, Therefore, my beloved, and long before forever. You know, the one thing that came to mind is when a person loves the Lord, he loves two things also his people, and he loves to be with his people. Amen. Uh, you know, he says, My beloved, and long before forever. So I want to be with you. You know, so when you think about people that don't want to be with the body of believers, two things we can question. Uh, their salvation, one, and their maturity. And one yeah, there's a problem somewhere, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I often think about that. There's people that are vitally involved in body life. I mean, we just know. Uh, they're part of the body, life. And there's other people that may be believers, but they're so loosely connected that it's, you know, they never take anybody a meal. Uh, they never, you know, are involved on the prayer chain. They, they just, they're just, okay, they're out here. I trust they're believers. Hope so. <laughs> but they're, they're not vitally involved like you're talking about. And, yeah, that's a great emphasis here. Not only beloved, but longed for. Yeah, I want to be there. Yeah, I miss you. Yeah, right, right, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I had a guy call me uh, who's in ministry, and he says, I want to get together with you uh, for lunch. He says, I want to sit down and look at your face for a while. I said, well, thank you very much. Not many people tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> Repent, brother. <laughs> All right. Uh, verse 2. Who wants to read verse 2 for us? Yeah. Bill? Okay. Well, there you come straight out with it. Straight out with it. I had a professor who called Iodia odious and Syntyche Suntachi. Right? <laughs> Uh, it was kind of a little joke, but you know, we know that old line, uh, to dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. 
But to live below with saints we know, now that's another story, you know. We know that old line. Uh, here, here's where we really have Christianity in shoe leather. There's, there's, a, there's a struggle going on here. Uh, there's, there's some tension between these two women in the church. And I think it's known by everybody. That's one reason Paul's bringing it out. It's like it's not a secret. Everybody knows uh, there's a problem here. When he says, I implore, it's I urge, I appeal. Uh, it's, it's a strong word. Uh, and, and it's interesting here. One of the things that stands out here, Paul doesn't choose sides here, right? He doesn't say, you know, I am totally with uh, Eodia. Uh, she's in the right here. And let's, no, no, he, he, he doesn't even get into it, actually. He doesn't say what even the issue is. These two women at Philippi uh, had problems with each other. That's clear. It was evidently a personal matter, uh, what is called a personality conflict and not a doctrinal matter. Uh, The general consensus of the commentaries is that if it was a doctrinal matter, then Paul would have specifically addressed it as this is his pattern. You know, when you, Paul's not shy about bringing out doctrinal matters and, and laying it out, as he's done in the book even. But here he does not specifically name the problem, other than the fact that they obviously are not getting along, right? So he, he leaves it general. He doesn't specifically say, hey, what it is. Now, he knows about it, and he calls them out, but he doesn't even say really what the issue here is. Evidently, some kind of a personal issue between them. I don't know what it was. Uh, Did one of them look at the other one wrong one Sunday? I don't know what the problem was. Who knows? It doesn't tell us. I have a pastor friend, and he says to me, just in jest, jest, he says, uh, it's always a doctrinal issue, meaning it's rarely a doctrinal issue, although that's not always true. It is often a doctrinal issue, too. But here, it doesn't seem like there's a doctrinal issue at all. The hardest thing in body life is consistently getting along. Uh, This is the great challenge. Let me say one of the things. You know, there's other challenges too, but we constantly do things that bug each other. We irritate each other so easily. We have differing preferences. We have different uh, kinds of differences and, and have human ego and pride that often gets in the way. We still have the flesh, which is prone to bicker, whine, complain, grumble, be disgruntled, and basically be a pain to live with. (laughs) Is there an amen out here? Uh, somebody shouts it too loud, we'll really say, well, you know, what's the deal? Uh, this is normal for unsaved people to live this way. But it is not to be so for God's people. The defining trait for God's people is to be agape, love, not fleshy fighting. However, we believers still have the flesh along with our new nature. Our flesh is still very prone to be selfish and ego, uh, have ego-driven perspectives. That's why the Bible gives so much warning and exhortation at this very point. I mean, it, it's going to be a struggle for us until we get to glory. And, and it, is, it is a great challenge. Yes, Levita? Yeah? Yep. Well, he doesn't say that. Um, you know, I'm... Maybe they both were out of sync with the mind of the Lord. You see what I'm saying? No, you don't. <laughs> yeah, he's telling them, get on the same page as far as the Lord. And, and it is amazing how that does solve things. 
But, but they both could have been out of kilter here is what I'm saying. It could have been. You know, again, he doesn't tell us. He's just tell, he's saying basically tell these women to get on the same page, have the, have the mind of the Lord, uh, both of you. But, uh, yeah, yep. Amen, brother. That, that, thinking through the lens of the book and the emphasis he's made, that is a very good guess. <laughs> and probably pride's involved here somewhere. I mean, just almost invariably when you have t- uh, tensions, there's pride somewhere. Uh, somebody's got an ego issue of some kind or another. Uh, we don't know which one it was. We don't know. You know, we're, Sometimes you can have a situation where both are kind of a little bit at fault here. A lot of times that's the case. It's not like what's completely innocent. Maybe, maybe, but again, we don't really know here. Uh, Let me share one more slide before we go on to that phrase a little more. The language would suggest that they were influential and prominent members in the body, which is why this becomes all the more serious. With their record of gospel ministry with Paul, they may very well have been charter members in the church. I mean, they were working with Paul in the gospel ministry early. It was evidently a situation well-known by everyone in the church, which would explain why Paul takes the bold liberty to name them publicly, as this letter would be read when the church was gathered together. So uh, these seem to be, you know, these are not just like brand-new, immature Christians. Uh, It seems like they were mature. They were in the work. They were involved. And yet they're having a problem here. Uh, again, I think it would be kind of shocking, probably a bolt to, to hear your name read in this context. And uh, again, as uh, we talked about here, what is the solution? He says, I implore Eodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Think the same way. Be on the same page in terms of your attitude. And I do think this goes back to chapter 2, what Vince was bringing out about having the mind of Christ that he's emphasized early in the letter. I think he's kind of paving the way for what he is now bringing out in relationship to this conflict. It's amazing how humility will go a long ways in terms of solving, solving a conflict. But uh, certainly, whatever they, they are to think like Jesus Christ, have the mind of Christ, as we saw in chapter 2. And I think, too, also to have an eternal perspective, uh, to live in light of eternity. There is a time when conflict is required, such as we're contending for the truth, uh, but mere personal conflicts must be resolved and subjected to the lordship of Christ. Petty differences, legitimate uh, differing preferences, or a host of other potential irritants must not be allowed to bring disharmony and discord to the body of Christ. The unity in the Lord does not mean that people always think exactly alike on everything or that they will have the same tastes and preferences. It, it does mean that for the sake of Christ, they will set aside uh, secondary matters. They will set secondary matters aside and not make an issue out of them. Uh, the, again, this relates to this whole attitude of humility that we talked about in chapter 2. All right. Um, any other thoughts there? Yeah, Michael? Just the visuals, I think I could just super easy to fall into at different points in the 
Yeah, amen, Michael. That is so true. And, and we know as elders, as spiritual leaders, even in terms of this whole COVID thing, there, there's a couple of things we might disagree on here, right? Just a couple. Seriously, it becomes battlegrounds. And uh, yeah, so amen to what you're saying there. Uh, it's, it's true. Okay, um, anyone else? All right, let's go on to verse 3. Let's finish out verse 3. Who wants to read that for us? Yeah, Albert? Okay, so uh, he says, I urge you, this is a different word than what was used in verse 2 where he says, I implore. It, it's, it's a softer word. It, it's really the idea of a gracious appeal. I urge you also, uh, he's, he's encouraging this to happen, and yet in a very gracious, with a very gracious tone. He says, I urge you also, true companion. Uh, true companion is literally yoke fellow, yoke fellow. Um, the one who is yoked together uh, in the work, a uh, true yoke fellow. Uh, who was this, do you suppose? I urge you also, true companion, true yoke fellow. Well, we're not told who it was. Um, who is the yoke fellow? Evidently, the church knew. Uh, some suggest it might have been Epaphroditus, who Paul, in very high accolades, says he's my fellow worker in chapter 2, verse 25. Uh, maybe. Uh, some suggest here that when he says uh, true yoke fellow, this was actually a proper name for somebody in the church, you know. Uh, but we don't really know. Uh, we're, we're guessing here. Uh, the church evidently knew. Someone is in view here, obviously. I urge you also, true companion, true yoke fellow, help these women. Help these women. You know, sometimes con- people in conflict need a little help. Right? Need to bring in a third party who can maybe assist them uh, to talk it through, to work it through. So he says, help these women. They need a little help to kind of get back on track here. Uh, So help these women who labored with me in the gospel. Uh, Again, seems that they were early converts. Uh, They weren't just troublemakers, right? They were gospel workers, they were serving alongside Paul in the, in the gospel ministry. So that would tell me these are some serious believers. They're serious believers. Uh, they were in the work. But now somehow they've gotten off track. Kind of interesting to know what it was. Was it, have any, is it serious at all? No, it's not serious enough for Paul to mention. <laughs> Just tell them to, to be of the same mind. And help these women who labored with me in the gospel. They clearly were involved in the work, serving right alongside the Apostle Paul in the gospel ministry, in the gospel work. And then he says, with Clement also. With Clement also, uh, he is uh, singled out for special mention. Uh, Who was Clement, by the way? Well, I have no idea, neither does anyone else. He's He's a guy in the church who is a fellow worker. Uh, he labored with me in the gospel with Clement. 
Uh, we don't know anything else about him. There's a lot of people in that category, right? We don't know anything about them, but God knows everything about them. His name is in the scriptures, which is more than I can say for myself or you, right? But he's, he's mentioned, uh, but we know anything about him other than he was uh, working in the gospel. If you've got to have one thing said about you, that's a pretty good thing. Uh, we don't know anything else about him. Uh, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, kind of the standouts uh, among them, they, they were in that group who were laboring in the gospel. Clement was there. They were there. And there were some other workers as well. But they were involved in the work. They were among the standouts who were helping Paul in the gospel ministry. And then he says, whose names are in the book of life. Well, that settles it, right? In Paul's mind, these are definitely saved people. Uh, their names are, are in the book of life, which is what it is ultimately about. This is the thing that ultimately matters, that our name is, is written down in the book of life. So they were both members of the church. They were both active workers uh, laboring in the gospel with the apostle Paul. They were both saved, had their names written down in the book of life. What do you think the odds are we can now get along? (laughs) Uh, It's a matter of perspective, uh, thinking about life in light of eternity. And that's what he's really encouraging them to do. This, uh, I like this, uh, this emphasis here, whose names are in the book of life. Uh, is your name in the book of life? I mean, how do you picture that book of life? There is a book of life. God has a book of life. And uh, if you're a believer, your name is written down in that book. God's got the books on everybody. And there's a book of life. And if you're saved, your name's there. How wonderful to have your name in the book of life. I mean, nothing more important than that. Um, couple of slides here. This is a recurring emphasis. Whoops, I forget this slide. What's this one about? Nope. We already read that one, didn't we? Didn't I read that? No, no, I didn't. Okay, yeah, there we go. In matters of conflict, it is often good just to remind ourselves that, that we, both parties, are citizens of heaven. Uh, we as believers all have our names written down in the book of life. So what we are... So what are we really fighting about? We're on the same side. We're not enemies. You know, and how Paul says, we don't really don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Seems like it sometimes. Uh, we're not enemies. In view of the fact that we are fellow citizens of heaven, fellow workers in the gospel, does it really make sense for us to be fighting over this? That's a good question, right? Is this really going to matter on Judgment Day? Um, what, what's going to matter? It's easy to lose perspective, to lose sight of an eternal perspective and think carnally about people, especially if they irritate us. But we need to think of them as a fellow brother or sister and respond accordingly as fellow citizens of heaven whose names are in the book of life. Um, It's good to kind of come back to ultimate issues, the the big perspective here, what really matters. Jesus says in Luke 10, 20, he says to the disciples, they were all excited about, you know, the power that he had given them. He says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. I mean, it's, it's great that demons are subject to you, but that's not the big deal. Rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That's the really big deal. Your names are written in heaven. That's the ultimate issue. And then in uh, Revelation 20, 15, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Okay, check, checking the book here. Uh, oh, oh, oh. Your, your name's not there. Boy, bad deal. 
the end of the day, these people who are not written in the book of life are going to be cast in the lake of fire. At the end of the book, Revelation 21, 27, there shall by no means enter, it, talking about the new Jerusalem, the holy city, uh, where God's people are going to dwell. Uh, there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Who comes in? Ultimately, those that are written in the Lamb's book of life. By the way, uh, you know, we come to Revelation, which is the capstone of all the scriptures. Uh, it builds and it kind of ties everything together, the consummation of all things in the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, uh, we have six references to the book of life. So it's, it's a big deal. All the way through there. Six references to the book of life. And, uh, but it's not only a New Testament uh, concept. Uh, God's got his books. Uh, back here in Daniel chapter 7 verse 10. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, thousand thousands ministered unto him. And ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set and the books were opened. Uh, God's got his books. God's got his books. The ultimate issue is our name written in the book of life. Great. Now, how about we live accordingly? That's what his emphasis here is. Uh, nothing else is going to matter on Judgment Day. Only one life to live. Only what's done for Christ is going to, to last. Uh, I like this little story by M.R. DeHaan. I was cruising along about 60 miles an hour when suddenly I saw two sparrows in a fierce battle along the side of the road. Feathers were flying. They were attacking each other with great fury. As the car approached, they remained locked in combat. Together they arose in the air and fluttered blindly into the path of the car. With a violent thud, they smashed against the windshield, leaving a smear of blood and feathers. They were so preoccupied in their battle that they were blind to more serious dangers. Their quarrel cost them their lives. How often people act like those two sparrows. They fail to realize that in a fight, no one ever wins except for the devil. Both are losers. You know, and I, that line there, uh, they were preoccupied in their battle. They were blind to the more serious dangers. Their, their quarrel cost them their lives. And, and I would say it, it may cost you your reward before the Lord. The goal is to be faithful to the Lord uh, to where we are living without offense. As he says in chapter 1 there, that was his prayer for them. And again, I think he's kind of laying the groundwork where he gets to this, this particular issue in the church that's causing some uproar there in the fellowship. All right, any other thoughts as we wrap up here? Yeah, Michael? Well, amen, brother. Amen. Yeah, this idea of maintaining an eternal perspective, you know, I often think about this. What's going to matter on my deathbed, you know? And, and then I get to heaven and all these people I had problems with, we're all going to be there. <laughs> How's that going to be? How are we going to get along in heaven? Think we're going to be? So I say, well, you know, he's got in his, my father's house are many mansions, uh, many rooms. Hopefully yours is way down the way. <laughs> you think that's going to be the attitude? No. Right, probably right next door. 
we're going to have perfect fellowship, you know, perfect love, perfect harmony. It's kind of hard to imagine how that's going to be. But we ought to live as those who are citizens of heaven. We ought to live as those whose names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. In light of an eternal perspective, what really matters? Keep things in focus, an eternal focus. All right. Yes, Bill. I think it sometimes becomes necessary, and, and it's, it's like um, you don't know where it's going to go. You hope there's repentance. You hope there's restoration. That's always the goal in church discipline. It's not like we're just meeting out, you know, punishment here. It's, it's uh, restorative is the goal always. So you hope so, and, uh, you know, we've seen this sometimes where it works that way. Sometimes it doesn't work this way. Uh, it was pretty exciting to me. We had somebody on church discipline years ago. They left, they in fact, moved to a whole other place. But last year, this party called me and says, hey, I've repented. That was wonderful. Praise the Lord, you know. And, uh, you know, who am I? If you're right with the Lord, we're good. That's the goal. That's always the goal. But, um, yeah, I think, on the other hand, if you don't deal with it, as kind of Paul is dealing with it here, and you let that fester, it can become a major, major problem. And there's been times where I think I have pushed things under the carpet and it's come back to bite me. Uh, You can't do that. Uh, You do have to deal with problems. They're not going to just go away. So, yep. All right. Someone else? Okay. Very good. Good input. Uh, Let's share some prayer requests here. I have... uh, Mentioned a couple of them here. We're praying for the Campbells there. Everybody got a prayer 